Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Well, hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country and actually around the world. Uh, This is Judge Jim Gray, as you heard on the Voice America Variety Channel. And it's just another exciting opportunity to share some really interesting, provocative, truthful stories, thoughts, reasons as to where we are in the world today. And we're going to talk about interfaith. We're going to talk about the commonalities of the world's great religions. Uh, we did that last week with Dr. Siddiqui, and I tell you, we have a great follow-up today with uh, Dean Gail J. Stearns, S-T-E-A-R-N-S, at the Fish Interfaith Center at Chapman University here in Southern California, Orange County, where she's also an associate professor of religious studies. But talk about her background. You know, she has a, she's an anchor. She has such a great assemblage of backgrounds and she brings to that interfaith study. But I understand, and the first thing I'll say, the first thing I could find out about her was when she was five years old, she actually had her mother come to her kindergarten class and she learned that in effect the state of her desk as a five-year-old in effect led her into her chosen career path. And I'm going to ask her about that. That'll probably be my first question. It certainly got my attention. But she also, you know, is an author. Uh, She is an interdisciplinary PhD from Washington State University. Uh, She is the certified in mindfulness facilitator from UCLA, my alma mater, but I'm going to enter into what is being a mindless, uh, excuse me, mindfulness facilitator. That was a slip of the tongue. She's also an ordained minister from the Presbyterian Church, the United States, an editor of uh, Invest Your Humanity, celebrating Marvin Meyer, who was a well-known scholar, agnostic uh, gospel, and also the author, as I understanding, of Writing Pauline, Wisdom from a Long Life. That was back in 2005. Another author of the book, Open Your Eyes Toward Living More Deeply in the Present. So this is a really interesting lady, and we're going to talk about her background, her thoughts about the commonalities of the world's great religions, and what all of us at our various stations of the world and in our lives can do to stress those commonalities and tone down this this dissension, this polarization that we have, both in religion as well as politics around the country and around the world. So, Dr. Stearns, otherwise known as Gail, and my friend, welcome to All Rise. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I'm going to keep my promise. Uh, what was it about the state of your desk as a five-year-old in elementary <laughs> school that led to your chosen career path? I'm interested. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to read too much into that, but what I recall is when my mother came for parent day, and uh, it was one of those desks that you lift the lid, and she lifted it, and it was just a disaster. There were pa- papers everywhere. There was nothing very organized. And, um, you know, one of the things I would say about that is I discovered as I was growing up that, I don't know if you know the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospels, but... Uh, 
there's a story in which uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening, and Martha complains because she's doing the serving and says, why isn't Mary helping me? And um, um, I've always thought that, you know, I tend to fall into the Mary camp. I tend to be the one that wants to sit and talk and do the theology rather than be the one that's organizing around the edges. Um, Unfortunately, in my job now, I have to do both, and I've gotten good at both. But I think my nature is to really um, uh, think about ideas and and theology. You... You say of your present job, and by the way, I was expecting the opposite. I was expecting it to be all neat and clean and orderly. And you no, said it was no, disaster. no, it was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. Okay. Well, the statute of limitations <laughs> is run on that. Uh, you need fear no longer about that one. But That's right. you're now the, the dean of the Fish Interfaith Center at Chapman University. We actually had uh, Dr. Jim Doty, your former president, uh, on with us in a prior uh, interview on and here on All yeah, Rise. I heard that. What a fantastic man he was. But tell us, what is the Interfaith Center? What do you do? What is your job, Doctor? Well, Chapman is um, of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ lineage. It's over 150 years. We're able to trace our history back. And uh, some years ago, before I came, the some of the people who were part of the Disciples of Christ Church were on the Board of Trustees, and they began to have a vision that it would be wonderful to be more inclusive and to really support religion and spirituality and much of what we're talking about today, commonalities at the university. And so they began to envision instead of building a new chapel that's only Christian, they thought, what if it's an interfaith center? Um, Today, universities are trying to do this all over the country and often call me and say, you know, how did they do this? And We have an award-winning interface center. It's just stunningly beautiful and very simple. And they also ask, how do we do the programming? So now many universities are doing this, but Chapman was ahead of its time. And the first dean, it's actually called the Dean of the Wallace All-Faith Chapel, is my title. The first dean was my predecessor who helped to build that building and see that uh, dream into fruition. So my job has really been to then build the program that goes inside the building. We invite all different student organizations that are religious or spiritual to work with us and to have space and to do what they need to do to develop their own faith and religion. And in some, I heard it said recently that one of the ways you can describe interfaith work, and I see my work at the chapel, is Whoever walks in the door, I try to help them be a better whatever it is they already are. So if they're a Muslim, really do your prayers. Really dig into that. If they're, if they're some other religion, get with people and learn how to be a good person in your tradition. So that's what we do, and we bring people together for dialogue. Uh, last year, we had almost 750 events in that center, including meetings and panels and lectures and um, students uh, coming together. So it's a very vibrant and exciting place. Well, Gail, I understand that Mark Twain one time said that the, the command to be yourself is not often a good command for many people. You are helping people be yourself better. Be better at whatever right. you are. Good for you. That's, that's a, a yeah. wonderful approach. Must be pretty gratifying. Yeah, it is. 
So tell us, what is a mindfulness facilitator? What does that mean? Because if UCLA was involved, you know it's first rate. That's right. Um, I trained for a year while I was doing this job, mind you. So it was a pretty busy year. Um, About six or seven years ago, I trained at UCLA to become a mindfulness uh, teacher or facilitator. And mindfulness is a... Um, it's bigger than this, but the basic kind of classic mindfulness is a meditation uh, style. And I've done mindful. I've done meditation in the Christian tradition for many years. We call it centering prayer. And Father Thomas Keating was one who started that. And then I um, discovered that it's becoming um, something that people are doing to really help just center themselves, kind of help regulate. Um, uh, their understanding of the world, be more resilient. And this practice comes out of that Christian tradition. It comes out of Buddhist understandings of meditation. Today, it's becoming a more secular practice. So sort of the, the techniques and the usefulness just help people with their anxiety. They help lessen that. They help understand your connect, connectedness to something greater than yourself, to the world. And um, when I teach that and work with it, I always remind people that it has thousands of years of spiritual and religious roots. And so what we're doing is not just the latest self-help technique. It's actually well um, sort of practiced and understood for a long, long time. Well, I tell people that if you go to a religion that's been around for several thousand years, maybe there's something to it. And that's what you're telling right. here. But, but meditation... <laughs> yeah. Uh, centering prayer, uh, that's that's mm-hmm. wonderful. In my standpoint, the most helpful place I can think of where people should be taught or assisted, if they wish, to meditate would be in prison. You know, it has all the ingredients. Yeah. They have almost no resources. They have lots of time mm-hmm. on their hands. They're usually angry. And, and I wish that there would be some focused effort on helping people learn meditation or mindfulness, as you call it, in prison. Do you know if there's any activity in that direction? There actually is. There's a lot of activity. I'm glad you asked that. Um, I was just last week or the week before at a conference in Rhinebeck, New York, at the Omega Institute. One of the speakers is a name, a man named uh, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who is working in the Um, Boston area, Massachusetts Hospital, and he sort of started putting together an eight-week program for people in hospitals for pain control with mindfulness to just sort of help understand what's happening and take more control. He was one of the speakers, and he is now also uh, working with prisoners. Uh, Many, many mindfulness instructors are to help people to deal with kind of gaining some more um, internal re- resilience and understanding their internal resources rather than just being sort of bumped around by the outside or the system. And there's a lot of work. It's very impressive what's happening Good. with prisons and mindfulness. Yeah. There certainly is a need. So I- I'm glad to hear mm-hmm. that. Uh, you can tell this is not a put up interview. I hit her with that blind, but but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's just what we do on All Rise. But now I'm really interested in knowing, uh, Dr. Gail Stearns, who is Pauline? You have this book, Writing Pauline, Wisdom from a Long Life. Who is Pauline, and, and what is the wisdom that you're sharing? Um, Pauline is a woman I met when I was uh, working on my Ph.D. at Washington State University. 
um, some years ago, and she was a graduate of Washington State College many, many, many years ago. She wanted someone to work on her biography, and so um, some of the professors there asked me if I would do that, and I did as soon as I finished my Ph.D. Pauline was a um, nurse in both world wars. Um, She lived to be uh, almost 100 years old. She was in her 90s, and she was a Jungian analyst as well, Um, and she was a peace activist her whole life. She actually was imprisoned several times way back for her active uh, role in anti-nuclear demonstrations, and just a fascinating woman. She was a Quaker the last half of her life, and so a very thoughtful person who really thought about how shall we bring about peace in the world, and I found her just incredibly engaging. She and I uh, became very close friends, and so I wrote her story. Uh, that's that. That is exciting. Uh, yeah. And you know, yeah. again, I, I stress that it's our government, and if we're not happy with it, it's we have no one to blame but ourselves. It sounds like exactly. uh, your friend Pauline was certainly of that belief, and and put put her money where her mouth was, so to speak. Uh, right. I I, I I don't know what she did to end up in jail, but uh, I understand the con- courage <laughs> of people's convictions that that's taken it away. And so you also yeah. wrote this. Open your eyes. Uh, toward living more deeply in the present, please, for a couple of minutes, open our eyes, Dr. Gale. Uh, what is it mm-hmm. that you, we can do to live a more more deeply in the present? Well, that book was a kind of combination of my doing more. It was before I actually took a mindfulness training itself. So I was doing more centering prayer and teaching things that I found out later are exactly what mindfulness is. I just didn't have the term yet. Um, And so what I did was I sat down to write about that and found myself rereading the Gospel of Mark and um, began to understand Jesus so much as almost as a contemplative. He was far more than that. But the first thing he always did is went away to a quiet place to pray. And he always treated people with dignity and respect and equality. And I began to see that that deep prayer life, or if you will, meditation, um, is one that really gives birth to compassion. So that's really what I talk about, is how can you engage in that kind of silent prayer, not the one that you speak in front of other people, as the Apostle Paul said, you know, uh, don't speak in front of other people, but pray quietly. Um, And how do you do that? And then from that source, from the depth of that uh, resilience and that um, faith it gives you, how do you then understand the interconnectedness between people and become a more compassionate person in the world? And I kind of see Jesus as both a contemplative and sort of a revolutionary in um, standing for the poor and also having that draw from his relationship with God. So that's really what the book's about. That's that's just wonderful. It must be very gratifying to have been able to share those thoughts with with the rest of the world. Uh, you yeah. you said that you are the dean now of the of the Fish Interfaith uh, Center at Chapman, but tell us a little bit first, and then we'll we'll go on. But describe the path that led you to to this. So, what else did you do prior there too? You are an ordained minister. Uh, just give us a little bit more about Dr. Gail Stearns. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mentioned to you as the start before this interview began, I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in Marion, Iowa, and was there my whole growing up. Um, 
my father was a, a journalist and public relations manager eventually for Collins Radio Company, and my mother was a nurse. So um, I had two sisters, and we had, a, I think, not much money, but a really wonderful uh, life as a family in Marion and close friends, and uh, we're part of a Presbyterian church there my whole upbringing. So I went to college at a little college called Luther College, which is a Lutheran college in, in Northeast Iowa. And there I began to get very interested in religion, as well as uh, I also majored in anthropology and just the study of human culture. And it wasn't really until the end of that I became a, a canoe guide, would you believe, and counselor, where up in the Boundary Waters canoe area in northern Minnesota for a couple of summers and um, was a place where I could just be in nature and, and create community. And I began to realize what I wanted to do was, was to help people in their spiritual journey but also create community and what better place than the church so I went on to um, McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago to study theology and religion, and eventually uh, moved. I was uh, in the middle of that. I was married and moved up to the uh, city of Milwaukee, and my first church that I pastored was in Franklin, Wisconsin, a suburb of Milwaukee. Um, at that point, I also had a beautiful son born, and was there and had a wonderful time, and we did create community. We had a lovely time together. Uh, there was a point, though, that I was hungry to study some more, and this was um, this was in the, the 1980s, later 1980s, and I began to realize that I want I, there were many issues regarding women and religion particularly. Um, there's something that was emerging called feminist theology that I was fascinated by, and I just wanted to study more and see where it led me. And I thought it wasn't quite fair for my church to have to hear me preach about that every Sunday, so decided to move on. And um, we moved to, at that point, to Pullman, Washington, where Washington State University is. I began my Ph.D., um, and began to just study this from all angles, from sociology, from theology, just study issues that had to do with women and women's lives. And um, in the meantime, I had a beautiful daughter born, and then I was in Pullman at Washington State University for 25 years. I got my Ph.D., I wrote the book about Pauline, and then um, after I received my Ph.D., I started looking all over the country for teaching jobs. And, you know, there was, I had some interviews. There was just something in me that said, no, you need to do ministry too. You know, I love teaching, but um, a position opened. They were doing a national search for the director of the common ministry, which was an ecumenical, which means all Christian denominations, ministry at Washington State University. That was a, a nonprofit because a state university can't hire a chaplain. Um, and so I applied for that and got that job, and I was the director of the common ministry for about a dozen years, um, as well as I got to teach at, at WSU. So, um, and I know one of your questions will probably be about 9-11. We'll go there, but really we got sort of thrown into interfaith work while I was there. Uh, I, was, I was working with people in all different religions. Um, there were 
different ministers that worked sort of with me in cooperation with me, and we worked with the students. I was sort of a de facto chaplain for the university. They didn't pay me, but they called me when they needed me. And um, and then at some point, um, I found myself in Pullman. My kids had gone off, finished college, and they were almost finished. My daughter was almost finished, and clearly were not coming back to Pullman. And by then, I was alone, and I just decided I should look around. So... I love the idea of working for a university where I could be embedded in it, paid by the university to do spiritual work. And that's not possible at a state university. So I looked at private universities, and when I saw the um, job description from Chapman, it was almost like it was written for me. And so I applied, and here I am. Well, it was written for you. I, I can tell you also, maybe many of our listeners don't know, that I have taken a trip up to the Boundary Waters, which is basically ah. between Minnesota and uh, and Canada, and, and it literally yeah. is the same way now as it was when the French fur trappers were there. Don't allow any mechanized transportation at all. Right. In fact, if you have a heart attack, you have to be taken out by canoe, as I understand it. But That's right. we were That's able, we other did. than sleeping on the ground, we had guides, but we slept on the yeah. ground every time except one where they had a lodge there and they actually had electric generator and beds of all things and we went wow. down for dinner gail and it had a sign on in the dining room that's saying two choices for dinner take it or leave it and uh, all of us decided <laughs> to take it because uh, the next the next place to eat was about 40 miles by canoe but i always thought that was really yeah. kind of fun. wonderful place to be so it's, it's you beautiful. are one of our authors in fact one of our principals in what we call project understanding uh, we talked about that last week with dr siddiqui and if, i just strongly recommend that people go to the website it's www.project but there's a hyphen between pro and ject understanding all one word dot com and see all of the different commonalities among the world's religions a great small otherwise, as well as philosophies, but you're one of those that, that is involved. You've written uh, an essay with regard it. Give us from your, just, just edify us. Tell us a summary of what you see of some of those commonalities that maybe we hadn't thought of before. Well, I think the one that I wrote about in there is that we all have um, traditions like prayer or meditation or something like that, that really takes us um, deep into a journey of being connected to what that which is greater than ourselves, to know we're not alone, to give us resilience from within, um, to really do our work in the world. And, and they're, they're beautiful and longstanding traditions that take us into this deep level of what it means to be a human being in the world. So that's one I would say. Um, another one that I think is really, really important is compassion that every world religion has its, at its core some traditions of doing charity, of caring for the poor, of looking at, after those who have nothing. And every single religion makes that actually um, central to um, being in the world, to being a person of God, if you will. I think that is one that is really um, is really central, and also the the understanding that um, we are we are really here to be open to all human beings and seeing all human beings created 
in the image of God. I think about one of the traditions I've learned about more recently, and that is the Sikh tradition. And in the Sikhs will go into, for example, now Syria on the border and will feed people. They don't think about what religion they are. They will stand up for anyone who needs their help. And, they, and, and uh, Guru Nanak, their um, founder, was very strong on that. And I, many religions, in fact, I would say all religions, encourage us to do that. And if we did that all together, imagine what a better world it would be. So th- I, those are two things that I think of that are very, very important. A, a third one I would say is that every religion includes values and morals that are really about how we act in the world. So that belief itself is really uh, important, but for many religions, the most important thing is how you act. Do you treat your neighbor as you treat yourself? And almost, um, almost all of the religions would say that if you say in your heart that I believe in God and I love God, but then you are creating violence in the world, that that's not being true to the religion. And um, especially if it is, if it's, you know, not protective, but really vengeful. So that is one thing that our religions as well really hold in common. I uh, heard one time that the saying, a quiet conscience makes one strong. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've taken to that forever, and I think that's kind of what yeah. you said. But, but the idea of one thing is belief is one thing, but how you act, of course, is more important. Yeah. Uh, right. you, you are the way you act, and, and so, so good for you. Well, we are into commonalities among the world religions. We are talking about reactions and and appreciation of each other in the world i wasn't aware that the sikhs were out regardless of the wherever mm-hmm. the tragedy is in the world they're out helping people and that's that's what i i'm a christian that's what that christian spirit we were just talking to dr siddiqui that's the muslim spirit uh we can talk to and we will have a, a rabbi on soon uh, that is the jewish spirit that's the spirit of of all religions so so we need mm-hmm. to get these out more uh dr gale what is the website for project understanding again um you mean project understanding dot com that we put together that's or what, right you're saying what it yeah yes, what indeed. is it just, for is that just, what you're asking yes we're just talking to our listeners to try to get mm-hmm. people to go mm-hmm. to our website www.project with a with a hyphen between pro and ject projectunderstanding.com you will be gratified to read these various columns these essays mm-hmm. and please help mm-hmm. us pass them not only around our country but around the world we have people that are shooting each other taking advantage of each other just because you are a different religion than i am uh, and it's just simply something that we must focus on the commonalities and do our part to keep these really truly evil mindless things from happening so ponder that even on the time we have a break here for a couple of minutes uh you have my permission if you need it to go to the website now and just take a look at it if you can uh, don't do it if you're driving but nonetheless uh, come back in a couple of minutes after these words and we'll continue our discussion with dr gail cerns uh, who is the dean of the interfaith 
Center at Chapman University talking more about how we as human beings are literally bonded together. We need to spread this word and we'll continue to do that right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. As you heard, we are on All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, and we have a wonderful, truly distinguished guest, uh, Dean Gale J. Stearns, S-T-E-A-R-N-S, presently the Dean of the Fish Interfaith Center at Chapman University, also an Associate Professor of Religious Studies. Uh, I've been asked by my wife, kind of chided really to get a little bit humorous to the extent that that's the way it would be described. So I can tell you that recently I've been reading a book on anti-gravity and I can't put it down. So that's one reason why I've been out here doing some work. Uh, But we're talking about the commonalities among different religions. Dr. Stearns, I don't think in my lifetime we have ever been more polarized in our country than we are right this minute. Uh, politically, but also religiously. We have forces trying to say, oh, I'm completely righteous, you're completely evil, uh, and, and they each side is saying it to each other. We get this in the media, we get this in our everyday world, uh, we've certainly seen this after 9-11, but, but don't you see forces out there? It's got to be harder now than it ever has been to show one show interfaith work because people are thinking, oh, I, you're just trying to advocate for Christianity or for or for something mm-hmm. else. And they're really out there almost literally trying to divide us further. Have you found this at all in your work? Um, absolutely. I, I have found it's much more difficult and it's riskier in many ways than it's ever been. And uh, one of the things I'm noticing is that we at Chapman University really care about our students and about the hurt that's happening with all of the shootings and the bombings and 
just deep, deep hurt among communities and all of us as human beings. So, you know, we'll hold vigils after um, things like the shooting at Poway or um, New Zealand or bombings in Sri Lanka. And what I've discovered is there are people that actually are picking those apart and will say things like, why did you hold one one day after and this one you did it four days later? You must be, and you, must be you know, more in favor of a, like the Muslims than you are the Jews or the Christians. And I'm like, to me, I'm just stunned by that. I had someone say to me, um, you know, when they were sort of doing some counting about something, they were saying, you know, my work is about comparison. And I said, our work is about compassion. And we don't, we do what we can as soon as we can to care for people. But the fact that people are being encouraged to find um, anything that helps them support their divisiveness, even in those people that are trying to do good. And I'm just not talking about me. I always work with a huge team. At Chapman, when we try to do good things, there's always criticism. Now, I've never seen this in, in my 20 years of uh, doing this kind of work. I've never seen this kind of picking apart and uh, divisiveness happening. So it is, it, we also have to have, um, you know, the, the Orange Police Department, and we have news reporters when we do prayer vigils because there's danger of, you know, someone disrupting those. So it's a very different world than we've had for a long time. You used the word riskier when you began this, this answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you mean physically mm-hmm. that you feel that, that it's, it's more risky for your own physical well-being? Or, or what, what do you mean by choosing that word? I do think it's physically more risky. I mean, I remember, I believe it was the vigil after the shootings at the uh, Chabad synagogue at Poway. And... And we were, we were doing a prayer vigil. So we had Christians and Muslims and atheists and Jews all in the room. And we were talking about, um, you know, sort of lighting candles. And, and I'm standing at the front and I look at the back. And like I said, we had the orange police department, armed police officers standing there, CBS News and the campus safety. And I thought, how did we get here? That, first of all, we need this protection. And, um, you know, second of all, when we, and, and then second of all, how did we get here that the news media is covering these things when we're just gathering to pray? So I think it is, I think it, it, I think it is risky in many ways that people want to target those of us who are gathering people of different faiths and supporting them. And there are people that are against that. They think we shouldn't be doing that. I'm reminded that the answer to infringed speech is more speech uh, and the same thing with regard to compassion yeah. the answer to a lack of compassion is to double our efforts i mean what else can we do yeah. but you're seeing results yeah. we we are yeah. all of one mind and and we've just have to mm-hmm. focus on that but speaking right. of all of one mind uh, after 911 which was truly a, a pivotal event in my lifetime and in the lifetime of the world uh, i was literally appalled at how both our government and many of our citizens generally reacted against Muslims. And in effect, mm-hmm. unless they could be proved otherwise, they were considered to be terrorized terrorists, which is just, just an outrage, just, just simply not mm-hmm. true. And again, we talked to Dr. Siddiqui last week on All Rise, and, and uh, he is, of course, uh, a, a man of, of peace, a man of God, uh, and he's a Muslim. Uh, and I asked him what his experience was, and he said, all Muslims had experiences of this kind. Uh, tell us, you know, how did 
What was your experience with regard to those mm-hmm. developments, uh, the passage of the so-called Patriot Act and, and the rest in 9-11? Because it must have just been as appalling to you or more so than it is to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I was up at Washington State University directing the Common Ministry, and one of the things that, that we had done that I inherited from my predecessor was an interfaith uh, group, leadership group in the community. And um, so this included people from Pullman, Moscow, Idaho, with the University of Idaho is right across the border. So we had uh, Muslims. We had, There were people at those universities from all over the world. We had Muslims and Jews and Baha'i and Mormons and all kinds of folks. The leaders would come together in my uh, building every month, and we knew each other very closely. So, And there was a mosque, a small mosque in our town. So when uh, 9-11 happened, uh, first thing that happened that was fascinating was the university administration called me immediately and said, what are you folks doing, meaning the, the religious leaders, which they'd never done before. They didn't know what to do. So we, of course, gathered immediately the religious leaders and decided we would do a vigil, and we cooperated with the university. And then we did a number of events after that, and... What was fascinating, it went on for months and months, is um, first of all, the thing I would say is that the, the, we, the churches in town, especially the Christians, came out immediately to vigils and potlucks we held. Uh, potlucks were always the answer to uh, getting people together and said, we will accompany Muslims to the grocery store, we will surround the mosque, we will help to protect you. And, and lawyers who said, we will uh, work for free for you. It was really a beautiful time in terms of people stepping up. But also, um, other leaders and I were, were organizing many of these gatherings. And we had um, officials from the government, so I would say like FBI agents, in this little tiny town of Pullman, Washington, that came to everything we did. And um, they continued to monitor the mosque, and for years, literally. And the thing that I found was, I'm I'm not sure that those individuals that were there, um, I mean, I was stunned to know that they were there. Then I realized they're all over the country. Not the individuals I don't blame, but what I discovered is that they would ask questions of people like, do you think there's anything going on, you know, in your mosque of someone that you're suspicious of? What happened was they basically... um, encourage this sort of distrust among the community. And it was really difficult um, for a long, long time to know that um, the community was being watched and also that our, our interfaith efforts, um, um, you know, they took pictures of all the, the sign-in sheets, so they had all of our names and numbers, you know, that sort of thing. And it was really disturbing. It was Rather than saying, how can we support you, it didn't feel like that was, was what was happening. And um, But we all stood together. It was a really, it was a, in, in many ways, out of an incredibly horrific event, the community came together in ways I'd never seen before. Well, Gail, from my standpoint, what is the goal of a terrorist? Well, it's to drive us apart. It's to reduce our liberties. It's to show the world that the United States is no better than any other country. And and encouraging mistrust makes the bad guys win. I mean, we need to join hands just like you're talking. We are a brotherhood. We all, in effect, strive to 
live up to the golden rule to the best that we can. And, and that's, that's mm-hmm. what you are doing there. I, I believe in exchange mm-hmm. student programs, for example. I, I think, you know, to I, I was in the Peace Corps in Costa Rica, and I learned more from them than they learned from me. But, you know, to be able to see a totally different type of life, but appreciate it and, and be a part of it, and to have people come here from China, from Saudi Arabia, from wherever, it's just important for world understanding and world peace, as well as I believe in guest appearances of or exchanges of faith leaders, really among all the religious groups. Uh, to your knowledge, do we have uh, Christian churches requesting uh, Muslims, e- Muslim imams or whatever to come and, and share thoughts, uh, even give sermons? Is, is that active in the world today? You know, I think that kind of thing is happening in every community all the time right now. That um, interfaith work and in Orange County, for example, there's a very active group that does exchanges pretty regularly, the Interfaith uh, Council of Orange County, at Interfaith Network, excuse me. And in every small town, there are interfaith dialogue groups that meet every week or every month. There are educational programs all over the all over this country for sure right now. The the unfortunate thing is that we don't hear about it. You know, the good news doesn't seem to make the news, and I know there are efforts of people coming together talking to one another, learning from one another, traveling to one another's um, houses of worship, going to other countries, as you mentioned. It's happening constantly now because so many of us see the value, and that's one of the ways we'll bring about peace. Unfortunately, we don't hear about it, and I wish we would more. Well, of course, good news isn't news. Uh, An airplane lands safely in Heathrow Airport. I mean, okay, that's not news. Yeah. One runs into a truck. Right. That's that's different, and and it's pretty much right. the same thing. But that way, I'll bring us back to our project understanding project. That that I ask people go to our website www.projectunderstanding with the hyphen between pro and ject, dot com and and look at that. You'll be gratified in seeing. In fact, you'll be scratching your head. I didn't know that. I didn't know that this religion had so much involved with that religion. But don't just leave it at that. Spread the word. Give other people this this understanding that, hey, yes, some bad things are happening in the world, but also a lot of good things are happening in the world as well. And let's spread it not around our country so much as even around the world. You must have friends. We have people listening in Ireland, uh, wonderful people for, to this show, as well as China and Japan and, and Costa Rica and others. You know, Spread this word. Go to the website and let people know it will be consoling. It will also be uh, spreading that sense of optimism, and it will keep the bad guys from winning. Uh, Gail, uh, you talk about interfaith council and you have meetings. What do you do at your meetings? And there's one thing we libertarians sometimes say, it's one thing to sit around and say how smart we are, but it's another to actually get out and spread the word. Uh, how do your interfaith council actually make entries into the various communities around in our world? Well, I guess I would, if, if you don't mind, talk a little bit more um, directly about the work that I do on campus. So I do this with students now more than I do. I also do with the community, but, but on campus, on the college campus, we um, have a uh, meeting every single week. My staff meets with the presidents and um, leaders of all the religious and student organizations on campus, and that we call that the Interfaith Council. So they come together and they share, first of all, they just share with one another what's happening in each group. So if one of them 
one of the Christian groups or one of the Muslim groups happens to be doing a cleanup on the beach or working with the homeless, they'll tell the others, and often the others will join them. Um, they tell each other what they believe. There'll be a different person that shares each week to share something they believe uh, that's, tr- like, important in their tradition so that they can begin to see these commonalities. They also sometimes then plan interfaith activities together. Um, we had a, just a stunningly uh, profound panel of students talking about the Israel-Palestinian um, issue in a way that I haven't heard politicians you know, even touch. I mean, really profoundly talking this through. So what we're doing is we're, we're um, fostering interfaith leaders. So wherever they go in the future, and our Chapman graduates go all over the world, these students will know how to speak to people of other religions, know how to find commonalities, and they're, they're making a difference in the world. That is, that is just increasingly encouraging good, and good for you. And again, I ask people, what's the most important thing in life, which is probably the most general question I can come up with. And regardless, uh, my answer is gratification. You know, knowing that the world is mm. a slightly better place because you were on this, you walked on the face of the earth for a little while, and you must be receiving a great deal of gratification for what you're doing, Dr. Gail Stearns, at the Interfaith Center. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like it's very, very important work. And I was thinking about a phrase that there's a theologian, Karen Armstrong, who's written books on all different religious leaders. She's a, uh, she's a, um, a scholar. And one of the things she always says, and I'm, I think you'll probably agree with this, is that what we have to fear is not religion itself, but it is, you know, fanatical fundamentalism within every religion. And um, so if we can begin to have that kind of understanding and our students are going out into the world with that we're we're making a difference indeed so in fact remember jim jones i think it was who uh, down mm. and everybody drank the kool-aid down in uh, mm. somewhere in latin america and and he i think that was christian based i mean my goodness there is fanaticism, it was. It was. fanaticism everywhere and, and to well to as, label. Are, as are some of the you know, the, the, what I would call terrorist attacks today, some of the shootings are Christian-based. And to me, that's a, you know, there are people that are based in Christian scriptures, and that's, a, that's an aberration of what those scriptures uh, mean, you know, for um, divisive purposes, just like people use other religions that way and scriptures that way. Yes. Well, we almost have, as as a civilized society, we almost have to describe acts of that kind as insane. That, that just yes. you, you just can't give it any other uh, definition. Let's go back a little bit because the meditation, the mindfulness, uh, it's a word to many people. Uh, I would meditate for a while. I've I've stopped. Probably didn't do it within the last ten years. But but tell yeah. us why it is so helpful. Why it is so successful, and and just the fundamentals of it uh, for people okay. that really are not involved. You want a mindfulness 101? I can do that quickly. <laughs> I, I, here's, here's the way that I, I would say it in just a few sentences, and that is that um, there's, a, there's a, um, an understanding that I think Buddhism has put into words best, which is really that we create our own suffering by our thinking. And what that means is that, let's say an event happened to you. It might even be just a person glanced at you. And you'll walk away and suddenly start thinking, why did they look at me that way? And you might start to spin stories in your head. Oh, my gosh, they're mad at me. Oh, my gosh, you know, the people um, 
that, you know, a friend of mine was upset with me and they're their friend and now I know they're upset. Oh my gosh, they're going to talk to my boss. And next thing you know, in your mind, you're jobless. You know, you've lost your job because of a glance. And we tend to do this a lot. We um, spin stories, if you will. So mindfulness is one way to sit and, and begin to just observe your own thoughts, get to know your own mind. And when you start to go there, you kind of can stop yourself and say, what do I really know? All I know is somebody looked at me funny. Maybe they had a stomachache. You know, there's a million explanations. Um, and, and so begin to understand that we do that to ourselves. And we also get caught in sort of cultural tapes. So it may be that we're down on ourselves all the time. We're feeling anxious and upset with ourselves. And there are these sort of tapes in our mind about I'm worthless. Well, maybe we're caught in a greater sort of uh, cultural understanding of a person who's, you know, female or a person who's of a different race is not worth anything. And so we begin to recognize that in our heads and we begin to say, why am I believing these thoughts? And then we can take more control and it really helps um, recognize our, our, our emotions and you often feel all of that in your body. So it really helps you to, um, have a little more control so that maybe you're angry about something, but you can pause and say, what do I really know? Do I need to act on this? If that, if that makes sense. That's one way it works, I guess I would say. In, indeed so. It's a centering, I guess. It's a, hey, what's yeah, important, exactly. what isn't. Uh, <laughs> there was and, an old farmer, awareness. that an old farmer yeah. one time that made the comment, most of the bad things in your life never happen. Uh, and, That's right. and it's true. And you want to, to focus on the positive. Uh, I yep. remind people sometimes if I ask, well, how are you doing? And they say, oh, not bad. And that's a negative thing. We're so blessed to be where we are, who we are, have the life we have by and large. And uh, yeah. somebody asked me, my life has never been better than it is right this minute, Gail. And it's an honest yeah. statement. You could probably say the same thing. So instead of, mm -hmm. oh, not bad, say, you know, it's great. And, and it's a whole different yeah. approach on life, which is kind of what I am inferring from what you were saying with regard to your meditation and mindfulness. Is that on mm -hmm. point? It is. And I would just add one other piece, which probably could take us another hour, but I won't, uh, we don't have it. But is that one of the, the influences today with the anxiety, especially among young people I work with, is um, the influence of uh, the Internet and social media and um I think it's designed, and we're now learning from people like Tristan Harris, who was, was a former um, person who put Facebook together. We're learning that it's designed to pull out the negative. You know, if you put one comment in, it'll take you down that rabbit hole. And um, it's also uh, designed to just keep, keep you coming back constantly and to sort of uh, fomenting certain kinds of understandings and viewpoints. And students are... Um, somewhat addicted. They don't know how to get away from it. And it's causing a lot of stories in their heads and anxiety. So one of the things we work with them on is noticing, you know, your attraction to that and beginning to um, pull yourself away from it and use it in positive ways. I, I use the phrase, come up for air, uh, kind of yeah, that right. occurring to me. And uh, you mentioned the internet, uh, Anonymity does some brings out some bad features in a lot of people. Yes. And if I can mm -hmm. pretend I'm someone else or just send on some comment to you anonymously, you know, there's there's yep. a lot of 
mentally ill people out there that are going to try to cut you down. There's a term for it. I don't know what it is, but I, I get benefits out of cutting you down sort of thing. And yeah. So come up for air. Yeah. Just just t- consider the source. And if that person doesn't have the decency to tell, put their name attached to the comment, take that for what it's worth. You know, so mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's all connected. Life is complicated, Gail Stearns. I, I, I know that this is the first time you've ever thought about that, but uh, it is truly complicated <laughs> in today's world. And we are all kind of on this ship together. We, we yeah. should be mindful. We should be aware. We should understand. You come back to one of my true heroes in life, which is UCLA basketball coach Johnny Wooden said once, you know, that ignorance creates walls between us. Uh, how should how can we best break down that ignorance? How can we really understand, look into your soul and see you're just the same as I am? You you're, you want a better life for yourself and your children. You, you're not a, you're not anxious to bring people down. Uh, I'm not going to try to arbitrarily kill somebody, hurt somebody, make some people un- unhappy. Actually, this is a little off the subject, but I, I assume you would agree. When you see people with disabilities of some form, either medical, mental, whatever, uh, don't look away. Look them in the eye and say good morning. You know, it, it isn't mm-hmm. staring. They just want to be treated as, as human beings, which is what we all want. We treat people mm-hmm. well, they will treat us well. And I think that's what the Gail, Gail Stearns at the Fish Interfaith Center is trying to do, and, and you're doing it wonderfully well. So maybe we can wrap this up a little bit, but with regard to the future, uh, you know, I know you're doing what you can. Uh, you haven't been put in jail yet for your involvement, uh, like, uh, uh, who was it, uh, Pauline, but, Pauline. but uh, yeah. what, what are, are you, are you optimistic with regard to the future? You're, you're working with youth who, are, of course, are the future. Uh, what are your views as to what life will be in our country 10 years from now? You know, I, I'm always optimistic because I'm a person of faith, um, and these young people give me great hope. The thing that I would say is that it's not, in some ways, it feels like it's not just up to us as individuals. And let me just give you one example. I think there are sort of systematic things happening that are that are much bigger than I can tackle, although I can with you and with others. So things like social media, it's not just that you look away, it's that they are being designed to suck us in. The algorithms, you know, take you in deeper and deeper and deeper to the same kind of thought that you had before until fake news looks like real news. And so we're up against, I would say, you know, almost corporate for. for forces that want to make money, that actually are um, making it very, very difficult for people to resist that kind of thinking. So, you know, negative thinking and being drawn in to negative ways of, of understanding. So we need to look at the kind of system. We need to look at how we're all in this together. What are the forces at work in this country? And, um, you know, what's causing the division, and really work hard together. Um, I believe in humanity. I believe that in the end, uh, love wins, and I really do believe that. But that doesn't mean there's, there aren't people hurt in the meantime. So we have a lot of work to do. And in a lot of ways, Gail, of course, technology changes radically, but but it's always yep. been this way in the world. You know, we've, we've always yep. had bad yep. things going on. We've always been fearful. We've, we've, people have been hungry and, and the rest. But but uh, I think that I'm innately optimistic. I, I hear that you are as well. Uh, we mm-hmm. have work to do. 
it's our government, it's our community, and if, if it's not yep. working, in a lot of ways, we have no one to look at except ourselves because we need to work harder at it. You know, be more Pauline in a way, be more Gail Stearns yep. in a way. So yeah. so I just, yeah. on behalf of our society, Gail, I, I thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I still disagree with your assessment of your uh, kindergarten classroom and your desk. <laughs> it was a lot more organized than you were given given rights to, but, uh, but yeah. you know, it's just... We, we just appreciate what you is doing, uh, what Chapman University is doing, which is just a, an amazing, vibrant place that are kind of on the, the cutting edge of so many good things that are happening in this world, both with our students as well as just the community itself. So, so that's kind of where we are. Uh, we, we sum up that we're all on this ship together. Uh, there are lots of good things that we need to focus on more. There's lots of commonalities among the world's great religions. Uh, Dr. Siddiqui was bringing it up to me that there, there are families of religions that really mm-hmm. Jews, Christians, and, and Muslims are in the same family. They all worship the God of Abraham. I mean, what more of a commonality than that? Let's focus on that. Let's go to our website at uh, projectunderstanding.com. Again, don't forget the hyphen between pro and ject, but but you'll be gratified by seeing this. And please take it upon yourself. Be a Pauline to to take it upon yourself and to help spread this word that that fear is a is a terrible thing, but comfort, compassion, doing things like knowing that there are people like Gail Stearns in this world that are doing good things, uh, Dr. Siddiqui as well. So that is kind of what we do from our standpoint. If we do this, if we group together as we understand and, and work together, we will all rise together, just like those are libertarian values, and that's what we, we, we talk about. So I hope that you have enjoyed listening to this wonderful lady today and, and all that she is doing. And join us again soon next week on all rise the libertarian way with judge jim gray where we'll talk about another issue another thing that that we will get into in depth and bring some some peace and satisfaction so in the meantime i really appreciate your joining us step up to uh, all rise and and go back to any prior uh, show on demand if you wish by going to the voice america network click on the variety channel and you'll be able to find us there so talk to you next week Thank you, Dr. Gail Stearns, for being with us. And this is Judge Jim Gray saying thank you and life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen by bonds that help us control.